Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. We're in Genesis chapter 33 today. Uh, So kids, uh, I was told you were bringing your Bibles with you. You guys want to show me your Bibles? Show me your Bibles? Okay. All right. Can can anybody tell the grown-ups how to find Genesis? You go to the first page, and then it's got all of them there, and it tells you, right? Good. Yep. There you go. All right. So... Uh, But Genesis, and we're in chapter 33 today, kids, if you guys want to turn there. Um, And to catch you kids up kind of on where we've been in the story and what's going on, we've been following a guy named Jacob. Can anybody tell me what Jacob's brother's name was? Esau. Esau, that's right. Um, And so Jacob and Esau... Uh, We're brothers, and you might think, oh, wow, brothers, like they're good friends, right? No, Jacob and Esau fought all the time when they were kids, right? Um, And uh, Jacob had a really bad relationship with Esau. He He had taken stuff from Esau. He tricked him out of his birthright. He had stolen his blessing from his father, and then he ran away um, and went to a different place, and he'd been there for 20 years. And then God said, hey, you're supposed to go back home. And so he's going back to where Esau is. And last week we saw that he sent a messenger to Esau saying, hey, Jacob's coming, uh, be ready. And, and so then he gets word back from his messengers that, oh yeah, Esau's coming to meet you and he's got 400 men with him. And, uh, and so Jacob's scared because when he left, you know what Esau wanted to do? Esau actually wanted to kill Jacob when Jacob left because he was so angry with him. And so Jacob is scared now. He's coming with all of his family and all of these, all these animals that he's got now and everything. And he's coming back to Esau, um, but he is scared because Esau is coming at him with 400 men and it is a scary situation. And then you know what happens that night before? Jacob has this moment where he wrestles with God. There was this man that showed up, and at the end of the whole account, it's clear that he was wrestling with God, and through that, God blessed him. But you know, one of the things he blessed him with, he blessed him with a sign that, hey, you've wrestled with God and man, and you've prevailed. And so one, he changed his name. Anybody know what he changed his name to? Israel. Israel. Man, this, this group up here, they're, they're getting it. So <laughs> I, did, I didn't feed them the answers or anything, I promise. Um, but yeah, Israel, uh, he changes his name to Israel. And uh, along with that, that blessing, he also blesses him with a limp for the rest of his life. You're like, wait, that doesn't sound like a blessing. But that was a sign for Jacob the rest of his life that he had wrestled with God and had prevailed and that God had blessed him um, in that way. And so what we are going to see today in today's passage in Genesis chapter 33 is the evidence of a life changed by an encounter with God. We're going to see what it, some little nuggets of, of what, how Jacob's life is different and things that are different about Jacob now that he has had this encounter with God. Okay? 
So let's jump in uh, and, and read the Bible, okay? So we're Genesis chapter 33 and starting in verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants and their children in front, and then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and hit him in the face. No, that's not what happened. That's what he was afraid was going to happen. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And so we see this procession that happens here. And uh, it's still kind of still sad and kind of funny because it's still Jacob, right? So he, he puts, he puts his, his family in order of who he cares about from least to greatest, right? <laughs> like the favored ones are at the back. And the, the least favorite ones are at the front. Uh, so I think he still has this thought of if Esau's coming in to kill us, maybe at least Joseph can get away, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it seems in this situation. So kids, if your parents treat you that way, come talk to me and we'll have a talk with your parents, okay? So if your parents are, are prioritizing you by their, their favorite, uh, come talk to me and we'll have a good long talk, okay? Um, but yeah, J- Jacob does this, he, he sets it up and they, they go to meet Esau. And in this moment, we see the power of God because Esau has been changed as well. Esau is not coming looking for vengeance. He's not coming trying to fight back at his brother. He comes and hugs him. And that's the, that's the power of something that only God can do, right? Because I don't know about you guys, but, but my experience is a lot of times when there's family drama or, or tough situations with people, it takes something pretty major for that to be healed, for that to be reconciled. And that's what we see has happened here is that Jacob no longer, even in this, he is kind of moving his family around the way he wants them, but he's not really planning for a battle anymore. He goes out bowing before his brother because he's had this encounter. He has a changed heart and no longer is he the Jacob who's always trying to fight and scrap and get everything that's his. Even if you just compare this to what happened just like a day or two earlier with Laban, it's a different Jacob. He's had this encounter with God. The, with the encounter with Laban, he's, you did me wrong and I'm getting this, I'm getting that. Now that he's had this encounter with God, he is a different man who's walking into this encounter with Esau. And they have this moment where they just embrace. And it makes me wonder, like, when was the, the last time, if ever, these two hugged each other? from what we know, know of their story, right? Like, when, it, when did that happen? We don't know. But what we, what we can see in this, and what I want to stress to you that we can apply to our lives, and kids get this, when we trust God with a situation, it's amazing what can happen. 
When we trust God with a situation, it is amazing what can happen. Well, the passage goes on and it says this. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Now, kids, that's another thing we already covered was uh, Jacob, once he found out that Esau was coming with 400 men, he started sending all of these animals as a gift to his brother. And at that point, he was thinking, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to appease my brother, and maybe he'll be in a better mood if I give him all these gifts before he even gets to me, okay? So there's been this, like, herds and herds of animals that have been coming uh, to Esau from Jacob. And, and Esau's like, what, what is this all about? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have enough, thus he urged him and he took it. And so Jacob here, we see another change in Jacob. Yes, at first his, his goal in the gift was just to kind of appease his brother. Like, hey, if I send him these animals, then maybe he won't come kill me, right? Like that's, that's what he was going for. But here after this, this moment, after he's had this encounter with God, we see here his heart has changed. And what does he say here? He says, God has blessed me. And so I want to bless you. Because I have been blessed by God, I want to be a blessing to you. Brother, I want to give you this. God has given, look, look, look around. Look at all this stuff out here in the middle of nowhere where we're just wandering around. God is blessing me with all of this. And I want to be a blessing to you. This also probably reiterates to Esau a little bit more that, hey, I'm not the same Jacob who was always conniving and trying to steal what was yours. I'm not that same guy. I'm a changed guy here. Instead of me trying to take from you, brother, I'm going to give to you. And the same should be true in our lives is that when God has blessed us, we should want to be a blessing to others. When, when God has blessed you in your life and he's given you so much stuff or, or whatever it is and so many blessings, then you want to look around and say, how can I bless someone else? How can I pass that along? How can I, how can I be a blessing to others out of response for how God has blessed me? Kids, may, maybe you guys, do you, any of you guys have a favorite toy? Yeah? So when you think about like your favorite toy... Do you think, hey, how can I, this is really a blessing to have this one, right? Because those are special things. But then when we think about it, like, how can I use this to bless somebody else? So maybe when a friend comes over to you, take your favorite toy and you're like, oh, I'm afraid they're going to break it. So I'm going to put it in my closet and hide it. Or do you say, hey, friend, here's, here's my favorite toy. Let's play with it together. Which way do you go with it? Because your heart can go both ways. And grown-ups, I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. I just said I was talking to the kids, but you have favorite toys too. <laughs> They're just bigger and cost more money. And when we think about that stuff, when we look at that stuff, how do we see it? Do we see it as, oh, this is mine. I got to protect it. I got I, I to put my shield around it or whatever. Or do we say, man, I've been blessed and I want to be a blessing to others. 
I want to use what I have to bless others, to encourage others, to uplift others, to build up the kingdom of God. Because that's, that's the way that it should be. And that's what we start to see in Jacob here is this, this heart change that's happened in him. Going on in verse 12. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. But he said to him, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock Therefore, the name of the place was Succoth. Okay, so they've had this moment of reconciliation, of the relationship coming back together, of being restored to one another. And Esau's like, come on home, brother. I got a great spot for you. Come chill with me. Come, come be with our family. We're all going to be kumbaya, one happy family together. And Jacob still says, you know, no. I've got all these animals. They're really slow. I I don't want to be a burden to you. You go on home. I'm going to kind of head that way. And then he ends up kind of settling in an area close by, but not too close, right? So it's like, hey, we kind of each kind of have our own space a little bit. And I want to tell you, I think that's, that's quite all right. Even when we have that moment of reconciliation, it's still okay to keep a healthy space, and, and here's, what, here's what I mean, like, just, just because you've forgiven, just because things have, have been made right with each other, it doesn't mean that, that you have to go right back into putting yourself in the same situations again that led to the conflict you had in the first place. Is, is that fair? Now, I, I do want to want to be fair to scripture on this because um, there's very good scripture that would make an opposing point, okay? Um, but I, I think we can, uh, we can learn from that, but then also kind of apply this principle as well. Um, but if we look at what Jesus taught over in Matthew, um, in Matthew 18, uh, and I'll start down in verse 21. So kids, if you want to turn there, you can, or if not, uh, I'm not sure if I put this one on the screen or not. Uh, I might've forgot to put this one on the screen for you. So we'll see if Ben can do magic and get it on there. But, uh, but Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, and I'm going to go for, through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, thus to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? as many as seven times. So Peter's saying like, hey, I know we're supposed to forgive people when they do us wrong, but like really like how many times do we need to do that? Like how far do we have to go in that? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or in other places where Jesus answered the same question, he said 70 times seven. So what's his point? You don't really keep track of how many times you're forgiving somebody right? Because we can't count that high if we're honest, okay? 
So therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who has wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle one who was brought to him, who owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw that he had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, but you, um, because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so what Jesus is saying here is, hey, if you have been forgiven, just like we were looking at, hey, if you've been blessed, you should be a blessing. Jesus is saying, hey, if you have been forgiven, then you should forgive others. That's what Jesus is saying here. And those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, those of us who have placed our faith in him, know that what we bring to the table is a whole lot of sin, a whole lot of doing wrong against God. And so kids, hear me on this. When, when we do things that go wrong against God, God will have to punish those things because he is God, because he's perfect, because he's good, because he's a fair judge. And even, and even in that, God himself said, hey, you know what? I love them and I want to provide a way where they can be forgiven. And so there's a way that God can still be a fair judge and he can still punish all the things that we do wrong. And yet we can be made right with him. And that way is Jesus. Because Jesus was the one who never sinned. He didn't deserve any punishment. And yet he took the punishment on himself on the cross where he died in our place so that we could be forgiven. He died, he laid down his life, and then he rose again three days later. And that proved that he had defeated sin and death. And in that, we are forgiven. And if you have that hope, then what the scripture is telling us, what Jesus is stressing is, if you've been forgiven of all of your junk, then you should forgive others as well. So I don't want to lose that side of what scripture teaches while we make the point of what Jacob does here, which I think is wise, of even though we're forgiving each other, even though it's clear that Esau has forgiven Jacob for the things he did him wrong, even though all of that has kind of been worked out and they had their moment of a hug and an embrace and we're back together, we're brothers, this is so good, Jacob still kind of wisely says, you know what, I'm going to leave some space here. So that we don't go back to stepping on each other's toes all over again. I can see so many things going wrong. If I bring my whole crew up against his whole crew and we're all in the same place, like this could just be a disaster. So instead, Jacob kind of moves off on his own and he's over in his own own place here in this passage. And then going on in Genesis 33, it says this in verse 18. 
And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. Now, this is, this is really telling of the change that's happened in Jacob. What did, what did we, kids, what did, what did we say that Jacob's name had been changed to? Israel, good job, all right? Um, and so his name has been changed to Israel, and he comes to this place of worship, and he, and he sets up this altar, and he names the altar El, which means God. Elohi, which means the, the God of Israel, which means Israel. So he names this play, this altar, God, the God of Israel. And he's saying, what I'm sacrificing here and the worship that I'm doing here is I'm doing to my God, the God who I know, the God who I worship. And so the true sign of a changed life is worship. And so that's why we come together as a church. That's why we come here once a week to just worship him. Why? Because he's done great things for us and we want to return praise to him. Now, yes, our worship is very different now than the way that they worshiped then. He offered sacrifices. We no longer have to offer sacrifices because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But in this, we, we see that, that he is a changed man and, and he erects this altar in order to worship God. Another thing that's very interesting to note here is, is he calls him God, the God of Israel. He's saying, my God. No longer does he, he doesn't say God, the God of Abraham. He doesn't say God, the God of Isaac. He's not saying this is my grandfather's God or my dad's God. He's saying this is my God. This is the God who I know. And kids, I I hope that you have that moment in your life where you go from the place of this is my parents' God or this is my grandparents' God to a place of you're saying, this is my Jesus. I know Jesus. He knows me. I have a relationship with him. And so kids, that's, that's part of our hope for you and part of our desire for you in your life is where this becomes yours. Where it's not just about what your parents believe or what somebody else has told you or what, um, what you read or heard somewhere, but it's about who you know and who you have a relationship with in your life that makes it real. And so I, I hope... That, that you have that moment in your life. I hope that, that Jesus brings you to that place of knowing him as your Lord and Savior. Not just your parents, not just something that they drag you to, but something that you get to be a part of and you know to be your own. Now, I will say, um, it's kind of one thing that kind of stood out to me. This is completely a side note. Um, you guys that know me know we tend to have a little tangents at times, just when something kind of strikes me as funny in scripture. Um, I'm really kind of envious that uh, Jacob was able to purchase the place of worship for 100 pieces of money. <laughs> Did you guys catch that? 100 pieces of money. So um, yeah, we, you know, I'm looking out today at a another uh, full, full house and 
Uh, so many of our people are traveling this weekend and everything too. And, and so the elders, we've, we've been talking. We are like, you know, come fall when everybody's back, like, what are we going to do? Um, and so we're, we're wrestling with those things, praying through those things. We want to ask you to keep praying through them with us as well. Um, I, I would be, it would definitely be a God thing if we found a piece of property for a hundred pieces of money. Um, but, uh, God is a God of miracles. So, um, but yeah, so I just saw that in there. It's like, that's kind of, kind of funny to me. Uh, and, and yeah, and, but it is about having that place of worship. And I think it's meaningful too, that, that Jacob takes that effort to say, no, I'm purchasing this land. This is my spot and I'm going to worship God here. I'm setting this place up as a place of worship for me and future generations to be able to worship the God who I know. Um, and so, uh, so we, we see that. But like I said a little bit earlier, our worship is different now than it was then. We no longer bring an animal sacrifice because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But when we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we know that our lives are lived in sacrifice to him after that. So that means that, that yes, we sacrifice the th- our stuff that we want to give to him to further his kingdom. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our energies. We lay these things at, at his feet, at his throne in order to worship him. Say, look what you have done for me, Jesus, and I just want to do this back for you. And that, that kind of worship takes on so many different forms. It can have so many different aspects. Yes, it's here when we're singing together. Yes, in a moment, we're about to have communion together. And kids, I, I hope your parents had a chance to kind of talk with you about that being a time for for those who, who have that relationship with Jesus and are, are walking faithfully with Jesus. Um, and part of that being like, hey, I've taken the step of, of being obedient to Jesus in baptism, right? So all of those things are part of our worship. But also our worship can look like, hey, building a parade float and walking alongside it and passing out things in our community that invite people to church, that invite people to a place of hearing the gospel, to let parents know about our kids camp that's coming up where we're going to package the gospel in a way that's very relevant to them and give it to them, right? That's an act of worship. And so all of these different aspects of things that we do as a church are all ultimately aspects of worship of us laying before him our lives and saying, here, Jesus, you have done great things for us and we just want to return this to you. And so I just want to Let's, let's do another act of worship now and let's pray together. Jesus, we do thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for what you, you've done for us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all your mercy, all your grace that's given to us. And Lord, we are so grateful for you. And God, just like Jacob, I pray that, that we don't have an encounter with you and then walk away unchanged. But that we have an encounter with you and then we walk away in that new life that you give us. The new life that's informed and powered by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you, through your power, your spirit, lead and guide each of us. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not yet know you as their Lord and Savior. They've not had that encounter with you. I pray that maybe today they will reach out to you and say, yes, Lord, I want you. Please forgive me of my sin. 
I am a sinner. I am guilty before you. But I know by the power of Jesus Christ, I can be made whole. I believe in what you have done on the cross. And Jesus, I lay this all before you now and ask you to be with us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.